0: Into the follow-on podcast here on followoncricket.com. Chinmai Vaidya part Joshi, Ashay Chavan. Guys, the coronavirus pandemic is still ongoing, but cricket is starting to come back. Players have returned to training. Certain boards have put protocols in place. But right now, we're going to start this off with reactions to widespread protests uh, reacting to the death of George Floyd. He was... The, the autopsy revealed that it was a homicide, and the situation, I'll preface it before we get into our thoughts. George Floyd was suspected of using a counterfeit currency to purchase something, and police officers responded to that situation. Uh, police officers took George Floyd to the ground, and one officer in particular placed his knee on George Floyd's neck, his his head and neck area, and held it there for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, which is an absolutely absurd amount of time. And the further absurdity is that for nearly three minutes, George Floyd was unconscious, and the officer's knee was still on George Floyd's head and neck region. So for nearly three minutes, George Floyd was already unconscious, and the officer's knee did not move. Uh, There were three other officers who basically stood by and watched this situation, and as a reaction to this latest instance of police brutality against black people, there have been widespread protests across the world, mostly in the United States, but I've seen in Paris and in New Zealand many Athletes from other sports react to this. The Bundesliga has had players show their support. And in cricket, that is no different. Darren Sammy, Chris Gale, Kumar Sangakara, the England Cricket Board uh, tweeted about this. And it was a picture of Adil Rashid and Jofra Archer celebrating a World Cup win, which probably wouldn't have happened if it weren't for uh, those pivotal characters who uh, are of minority background. I'll start by saying, I don't know all the answers. I don't know what a solution to this problem is. I can only go off my own experiences and the experiences that, that I've witnessed. So as a, as a non-black, non-Hispanic minority in the United States, I have not experienced the same level of scrutiny that those groups have. So I can't judge their experiences. What I will say, though, is that what they're asking for is not something outrageous. They're asking to be treated equally. Uh, there's a famous saying that everybody in this country knows, and that's innocent until proven guilty. And for for black people and Hispanics, that has not been the case. They have been seen as guilty in the eyes of law enforcement, and I think it's important to understand that this is not something that's going to change overnight. But I'm I'm glad to see that there's widespread reaction to this, and there is something being done about this on a on a massive scale. You guys have any thoughts on this subject before I keep going?
1: I think that this was similar. These protests are similar to civil rights protests that happened in 1967 and 68, and they came to a head. At the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968, and I, I say this because there's always the one straw that breaks the camel's backs, and I think in today's in this week, uh, it's been especially difficult because you know for the as you know for the past three months, people have been staying at home with not much to do. Uh, there's record unemployment numbers. There's 40 million people unemployed, and you know there's people who aren't fearful of. Having a job to go back to, or they're not, they're not, they're not worried about uh, protests. And I think that I think that at the end of the day, there's a sufficient response, which is the protests. And many of them have condemned the looting that has happened at night as a result. And there's also been so many cases. There's so many names, even too many a list, But George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmad Arbery, of these three and many more who have kind of had the community come together, people stand in solidarity against police brutality, not just for um, minority races, but for all races in general. And I think that overall we might be at kind of a pivotal moment in our country's history. You know, people are hoping for change, and their peaceful protests were suppressed. Many people said, oh, we don't want you protesting peacefully, kneeling while the anthem's playing. So I think the next logical step for them was to demonstrate not just passively.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more with fo- what both of you guys have said. Um, Mai, of course, one thing you said really resonates with me and I think is really important to me at this time. Um, even though we may be part of a minority community here in the United States, we are not part of the community that has been suffering end- endlessly for the last um, century. And it's important in this time to realize what the difference is between our struggles um and also realize how we're the same still at the end of all this and it's been enlightening to see how people have come together come to peacefully protest and i think that's what we should shed light on and i think that's been the majority of what's gone on in this country after the recent events and i think we'll all come out stronger from this um and i think there's a lot of progress to be made regardless but i think we're moving in the right direction and rest in peace to george floyd
0: Thanks, guys, for that. I do want to quickly share uh, one of my experiences that I had while I was a student at the University of Missouri. As you guys may know, there were uh, Black Lives Matter protests at the University of Missouri during the fall of 2015. The system president ended up resigning, but the sequence of events that happened basically, there were several incidents, racist incidents that took place that led to black students uh, protesting. And one student in particular announced a hunger strike until the president resigned. And there was no action for, for a long time, for what seemed like a long time, multiple weeks, in fact. It seemed like there was going to be no action on the part of the university and the system president. And all that changed when the Missouri football team threatened to boycott a game that would potentially cost the university north of a million dollars had the game been boycotted. And when the football team got involved, the system president then resigned and there was some progress. But at the same time, I think there was a lot of kind of progress for the sake of showing that we may have progressed instead of actual progress. And I think that's important to realize here that, you know, that was in 2015. And five years later, we're talking about the exact same thing. And this is a larger institutional issue, specifically focusing on police brutality, because we can talk about social injustice and social disparities and economic disparities and political disparities all we want. But I want to focus specifically on police brutality, because when you talk about law enforcement, and you talk about public services, that are meant to see everybody as equal and treat everybody as equal we have overwhelmingly seen that that is not the case when it comes to police so I think there has to be a widespread change uh, implemented and it can't just be you know administrative leave it can't just be uh, the University of Minnesota severing relations with the Minneapolis Police Department it has to be deeper than that it has to be a bigger cleanse than just uh, severing you know, relations and administrative leave. It's got to be uh, life imprisonment for, for, for wrongful, you know, debts. And we need to stop with this, uh, you know, moving the goalposts of, oh, was the suspect resisting or did he fail to comply with officer's orders or did he commit a crime or, you know, did the person – uh, you know, attempt to flee the scene, uh, we, we have to stop with that. We have to look at the evidence for what it is and and realize that there is a difference in the way police officers treat blacks and Hispanics in this country, specifically those two in this country. So I think those experiences are important for me to share here. And I'll say that the people who are protesting peacefully, they are going to be part of a bigger movement and it's nice to see the support but it can't just be a tweet here a statement there it's got to be widespread change from from leadership and on the point of leadership I'll say this what the president of the United States did to clear the streets for a photo op with a Bible that he has not read one page of was absolutely disgusting And if you support that, then I don't know if you would – if you can say that you support social equality and social justice because that was not it and there's no way really to reconcile that as anything other than just a complete disregard for the situation. That's all I really have on that. If you guys want to add anything, feel free. Like you mentioned earlier – I want to kind of touch on the fact that people, sh- like you said, just it goes
1: beyond just you know thinking about having these sentiments for you know three days, four days, and seeing what actual change you can help make, starting in your local communities, um, and having you know actually having the, the, the self introspection to see if your worldview needs changing and if you're contributing to a problem or making it about yourself. And I think that people are starting to understand that. Hopefully. Oh the the way to get legislative action is to have these demonstrations, hopefully for the most part peaceful demonstrations. And it kind of was disheartening for me to see like video compilations of these are these are protests against police brutality, and there are police that come in and you know they just have, there's more police brutality. And the way the media also covers it, um, I, I don't know if we have the power to change that, but there's always two days after the fact people look up past crimes that like these people may have done and think, like you say, oh, they're guilty because of these past transgressions. So I think that maybe there needs to be a different attitude change um, that can start
0: from yourself having those tough conversations with your family and friends who may not see eye-to-eye eye with you. Just want to touch on what you said based on that. There are people in power who have not done the right thing, but I have a feeling there are people in power... Who will do the right thing, and and those people will far outweigh uh, the people who are not doing anything. and And it's heartening to see that there's a, a lot of powerful influencers in in sports and entertainment who have taken this very seriously and are contributing to what hopefully will be positive change. Uh, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to the Follow On podcast here on FollowOnCricket.com. <laughs> Welcome back into the follow-on podcast here on -on followoncricket.com. You can check us out on Facebook at The Follow-On, follow us on Twitter at The Follow-On, and of course all of our content at followoncricket.com. The last time we did this, we talked about the best 11s made up of World Cup finalists from each country. That was teams that had either made a World Cup final or had won the World Cup. And today we're doing a reverse of that. We are doing... World Cup 11s from players that have never played in a World Cup final. I will admit that for Australia, this was extremely difficult. I tweaked with what many would consider the parameters and included some players that have not played in a World Cup. So I'm going to admit that up front because you try finding 11 players for Australia who haven't played on a team that went to a World Cup final and it'll be very difficult. So I'm going to put that out there. We'll start with a team that has never won the World Cup but has made back-to-back World Cup finals. That is New Zealand. We'll start with the New Zealand All-11 that have never played in a World Cup final. The first five names that I had on this list that immediately jumped out to me were Nathan Astle, Stephen Fleming, Shane Bond, Martin Crowe, and Scott Styrus.
2: Yep, no arguments there. Um, I was going to add Chris Martin into that first group as well. Same
0: here. Uh, So Chris Martin was... Not in here for me, but I will. Obviously, we can debate that. Uh, I had a bunch of. This is like the all all rounder team for me. I had uh, Chris Cairns, Chris Harris, Jacob Oram, Kyle Mills, Craig McMillan, and Nathan McCullum rounding out my New Zealand eleven. So just a bunch of all rounders and a couple world class batsmen up at the top. But I can definitely take Chris Martin in, and we can we can take somebody out.
2: Yep, yeah, I think he should probably be there. Um, another all-rounder again. but <laughs> So loaded up with all-rounders here. But uh, I think he had a tremendous career and was there for... Had one of the longer careers in New Zealand cricket and was, was pretty rock-solid um, at his position for a long period of time. So I definitely think he deserves a spot in there.
1: I agree with yours. Uh, I, had, I was going to say Daniel Vittori, but then I realized he played in the 2015 World
0: Cup. So I think... I'm partial against specialist spinners, so Nathan McCollum gets the boot and uh, Chris Martin would get put in for that. Are you guys cool with that?
2: Yep, sounds good to me.
0: All right, that wraps up the New Zealand 11. Not a whole lot of trouble there. We'll go now to Sri Lanka and the 11 from Sri Lanka teams that have not played in a World Cup final. This was difficult because Sri Lanka has made World Cup finals recently. So, I have Suranga Lakmo, Kuso Pereira, Kuso Mendes, Avishka Fernando, and Avishka Gunawardane as my first group that makes this list. Yep, I won't
1: argue with any of those. No, I'm good with those as well. I also have
0: Nirojan Dikvela, Akila Dananjaya, Dimuth Ratne, and Lahiru Thirumane. And then I have two old-school guys. I have Alf Demel and Rumesh Ratnayake. I just wanted to throw in some old-school names who performed well. But that's my Sri Lanka 11, and it's basically made up of a lot of recent Sri Lanka players who have not been a part of those uh, Golden Generation teams.
1: I agree with those. I think Sri Lanka was actually probably the second
2: hardest team to list after Australia. Yeah, I I don't have... uh... The arguments there. I, Rangana Herat was playing um, one day cricket while Sri Lanka was taking part in the 2011 World Cup, but he was not selected in that team and did not play in the final. So that's why I had him in my 11 for Sri Lanka. Um, almost kind of as a slide in, sneak in type of on the rules there. But
0: I'm, I'm willing to include Rangana Herat in there and give Dimuth Garunaratne uh, the boot for this one.
2: Yep, yeah, I think definitely a more experienced veteran there, a lot more wickets, so makes sense to me.
0: Yep, no arguments from me there. We'll include Rangana Herath, and that's the Sri Lanka 11. We'll go now to England, most recently winning the World Cup. And this England team is a lot of names from England teams that were kind of good, but never really made it to that next level. A lot of good players in this group. I have uh, Andrew Strauss, Andrew Flintoff, Paul Collingwood, Kevin Peterson, Stuart Broad, and Jimmy Anderson in this team. Any arguments on any of those guys?
2: None for me. None for me, although maybe I would put
1: Alistair Cook over Strauss for your top five, but I have a feeling you have him in there anyway in your next five. I do have him in there.
0: I have Alistair Cook in there. Okay. And I have uh, Ravi Bopara, Ian Bell, Graham Swan as my uh, final group there, along with Alistair Cook.
2: I had Matthew Hoggard. Yep, I also had Matthew Hoggard in my team as well.
0: Yeah, I'm willing to. I'm willing to make room for Matthew Hoggard. I think we can take out. Hmm. I, I wonder who we can take out here. This is a tough one.
2: Yeah, I. I am. One thing I'm surprised about, my is that you had Collingwood that high. Um, good all rounder, but uh, I never thought he was. Great. I was also with the Shea on putting Alistair Cook for sure in that first group. Of course, the groups are debatable, and I do have Paul Collingwood in my team. Um, I didn't have Ravi Bopara in, but that is a good good addition, and I do like that, because he did win a couple World Cup games for England in the past, even though they didn't make it too far in that World Cup. Um, But he did have some important performances. So I'm... I don't know, I'm leaning towards Paul Collingwood, but I can also be swayed in another direction.
0: Okay, so we're we're confirmed on Alistair Cook, mm-hmm. Andrew Strauss, Andrew Flintoff, mm-hmm. Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, Kevin Peterson. Those six yep. are yep. confirmed? Okay. Do we also have uh, Graham Swan, Marcus Triscothic?
2: Ooh. Yeah, so of those two, I thought that they would both make it ahead of Paul Collingwood for me personally.
0: Okay. And then Ravi Bopara and Nasser Hussain and Ian Bell. What about, what about those Michael Vaughn? Michael, Va- Va- Michael Vaughn is a good addition.
2: Uh, so I'm struggling. What, what do you guys think about between Ian Bell and Mark Trescothic? If you had to pick one of those two, who would you take in? I'm struggling between those two. And I originally said Mark Trescothic, but I'm thinking now that I would take Ian Bell over Trescothic. So I would say Ian Bell. So, have we? Do we? Are there any arguments for Paul Collingwood, or did we want to take him out? I think um, we got to take Colingwood, him out now. His biggest argument was he's
1: a gun fielder, but like you said, I, I would be fine putting in Ian Bell. He's a pretty decent middle-order batsman. Well, I think we're about plus two or three now. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, so
0: we're, we we're, <laughs> we're kind of going down the list here. So, I'll I'll repeat the names again. But, Alistair Cook, Andrew Strauss, Andrew Flintoff. Those are the three for sure that are in. Kevin Peterson, Stuart Broad, Jimmy Anderson, that gives us six. Ravi Bhopal gives us seven. Michael Vaughn would give us eight. Graham Swan would give us nine. Triscotic would give us ten. Ian Bell would give us 11. Nasser Hussain would give us 12.
2: So I think Hoggard was the one that we missed. And Hoggard would give
0: us 13. So we have to take two guys out.
2: So here's my
1: initial thoughts. Ravi Bopara, um, I would, I could take, I could be comfortable taking him out, and I'd be comfortable taking out Nas. Uh, you know, I, I like Nasir standing in there. Um, maybe Graham Swan.
0: I would be comfortable taking Graham Swan out. I would be comfortable taking Ian Bell out over Ravi Bopara, but I can be swayed the other way if, if Parth feels that that we can go with uh, Ian Bell. I think there's an argument for both players. I- I'm not sure.
2: Yeah, this this is really a toss-up. Yeah. This is a tough one. Uh, a lot of good players here. Yeah, I, I can really go anyway. way. I think there's five players that I'm debating internally that can come in and out with these yeah. two spots. So, um, yeah, I- I'll, I'll leave it to you guys here.
0: Okay. I'm going to say that we're going to exclude Graham Swan. Okay. And yeah, then I think that's a good choice. We're going to exclude Ian Bell because I okay. think there's enough batsmen in the team that were better than Ian Bell who also contribute elsewhere. Even though Ian Bell was a fantastic player, I think there are more batsmen who also contribute elsewhere uh, that provide more value than Ian Bell. Makes sense to me. I like
1: having Nasir Hussain there. He was a pretty underrated captain.
0: For I, I agree with that. I think Nasir Hussain is, a, is an important addition to the team. We'll jump now to the Pakistan 11, this one was not too difficult for me. Pakistan winners of the 1992 World Cup, they also made the 99 final. So, players that were not part of either of those teams. I have Babar Azam, Mizbal haq Yunus Khan, Shoaib Malik, and Umar Gol in my first group there.
2: Uh, I, I agree with all those. Yep, I think all of those are in for me as well,
0: yes. The next group for me was a little bit difficult. Uh, some old-timers, some newer faces. I have Gamran Akmo, Muhammad Hafiz, Imam Haq, and Muhammad Amir. Uh, the last yes, guys, I agree. Yeah, the last guys I had were Wahab Riaz and Shahina Afridi, but I can hear a case for Fakar Zaman as well. Can you name your first five again? Yunus Khan, Shoaib Malik, Mizbal Huck, Bob Azam, and Umar Gol. So I have two. Che- I have one cheeky one and one... Actually, I have three more that... I think I have three that you missed. Okay. So one is Wakar Yunus, and I say that because he was actually injured before the ninety nine final, so he didn't play, couldn't play. I think Wakar was part of that team. I think he, play- he played in that World Cup, so... He
1: did, but he didn't play in the final... Yeah, know, we people. can.
0: You know, okay, fine. You know, we're we're already messing with the rules on this. Fine, Waka Yunus comes in, and I'll remove. Uh,
1: Shaina Afridi. Shaina Freedy is like twenty years old. Yeah, I I'll remove Shaina
0: Afridi. I think the the idea was that, for me at least, I interpret that I interpreted that as they didn't play on a team that played in a World Cup final, right? So, like, if you never played in a World Cup, like Rangana Ranganahera was part of Sri Lanka's. Golden generation. He just never played on a team that played in a World Cup final. So he'd mm-hmm. be in. I'm willing to include Waukar okay. because he was injured for a majority of that World Cup. So I'm willing to do that. So who, who are we debating, really?
2: Uh, Nobody, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I think you had is in. Yeah.
0: All right. So, yeah, you, I, I so, so. I'm going to run down the list again for the Pakistan 11 and see if we're good with this. Yunus Khan, Shoaib Malik... Umar Gul, Wahab Riaz, Mizba Ul Haq, Babar Azam, Muhammad Amir, Wakar Yunus, Kamran Akmal, Muhammad Afiz. Then I have Imam Ul Haq as my last spot.
2: Yep, I would take him over Shaheen for sure. Yeah, I would. All right,
0: that wraps up the Pakistan 11. We'll jump now to India. The first five that I had were basically all guys who currently play except for one. Mm-hmm. I had Rohit Sharma, Shikhar Dhavan, Bhuvneshwar Kumar, Jasprit Bumrah, and Mohammad Azaruddin. Yep, I would say that. The next group of guys that I had, I had Ajay Jadeja, Ravi Jadeja, VVS Lakshman, and Venkatesh Prasad as my next group. Interesting.
2: Can you name the first three, or just that list again, Chinmack, please.
0: Uh, Ajay Jadeja, Ravi Jadeja, VVS Lakshman, and Venkatesh Prasad. Oh,
2: that's interesting. So, I Jadeja, definitely a great player. played an important role. I'm a big fan of Ravi Jadeja, too. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Oh, is that your? that's your 11, right?
0: No, I still have two more names.
1: Oh, okay. What are they?
0: I have KL Rahul and Navjot Sidhu. But I'm I also listing Ravi Shastri as a possible option.
1: So, I have... Three that I'm thinking of. Okay. So one is Ishan Sharma. He hasn't played in the World Cup Final. Okay. Another one is Irfan Patan. And the other one is... Actually, I have four. Uh, one is iffy, but Murli Karthik and Chetiswar Pujara. And I, I'll take up Pujar. He doesn't play ODI, so you can uh, leave him off the list. It's fine.
0: Ishan Sharma I'm a little iffy on. But Me Irfan Patan I will definitely... I will accept your fun, Uh,
2: over who though? I'm not sure I would make room for. I for think
0: Irfan. I would take out. Ooh, yeah. This is tough, actually, because we already have a lot of bowling.
2: Good bowling. Ashay, do you have any? Did you have someone in mind you would take out for? Uh, let's see.
1: Hmm. I can't say it Jadeja.
0: I'd be willing to take him out for Navjot Sidhu, but that's the only I think option because none of the other bowlers are worse than Irfan Pathan. So that's the only
1: real spot yeah. I see. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think you'll leave it as it is.
0: Oh, okay, leave it as it is. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's the that's the India 11. Mohammad Azuruddin, Jasprit Bumrah, Bhuvneshwar Kumar, Rohit Sharma, Shikhar Dhawan, Ajay Jadeja, Ravi Jadeja, VVS Laxman, Navjot Sidhu, Venkatesh Prasad, and KL Rahul. On to the West Indies, three-time finalists, two-time winners, and then have never made a World Cup final after that. This team also might. We we saw the uh, we said the World Cup 11 for the West Indies was one of the best all-time teams. This might also be one of the best all-time teams from this exercise that we're doing, just because there's a lot of great players who have never played in a World Cup final. Mm-hmm. The first group that I have, uh, pretty straightforward for me, Chris Gale, Brian Lara, Shivna and Chandirpal, uh Curly Ambrose, and Courtney Walsh. Uh,
1: I, uh, I agree uh, with that order, actually, also. Yep, agree as well.
0: All right, my next group I have Kyron Pollard, Ramnaresh Sarwan, Sunil Narain, and Dwayne Bravo. Only my those? Yeah. My last two are Shy Hope and Shimron Hetmeyer. but I'm willing to uh, make room if you have a better name than either of those guys.
2: I, I was debating Holder a lot. I think he's a great all-around player, and he's proved to be a pretty good captain. Um, although now that I'm looking, he, he's had a lot more success in the test format and T20, more so than ODI, um, actually by quite a margin. So since we're going World Cup teams here, I'm actually going to take that back now that I see this.
0: So no changes for you then, Parth?
2: Uh, nope, none for me. For me, I was thinking of looking at old-school cricketer Lawrence Rove.
1: what-if hypothetical scenario, but I actually don't think he makes a list. But he had really good stats for the 70s and 80s, uh, just never never made the team, never, never played a World Cup final. Like, Carl Hooper and uh, Richard has described him as, you know, like the most elegant batsman they would seen, but I don't think it's fine. I don't think that he would make this team. All these players listed are better.
0: Right, so th- we can talk about guys like Don Bradman and Gary Sobers, and they just never played one days, and we would never know whether they were – good in the format or not, I would I would anticipate that they would be good in that format because they were good players, but we sure. just never know. And for the sake of the hypothetical, I have left them off of my Fair. list, but I can hear the argument for them. So I guess no, in this no, case Gary like, Sobers is the one that Yeah, absolutely. But no, I think I think this team as it is, uh, stands 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 has to be a good team. All right, we'll go now to Australia, and let me tell you how difficult this was. It is very hard to find a player from Australia who has not played in a single World Cup final because basically from 1996 onward, there has not been many Australia teams that didn't play in a World Cup final, and all those players were kind of jumbled together. So I basically picked exclusively from the 2019 Australia team and I also picked some guys who have either not played in the World Cup or don't really play ODI cricket. So this list could be really all over the place. The first group that I had was Justin Langer, Peter Siddle, Alex Carey, Marnus Labuschagne and Marcus Stoinis. Yep.
1: I agree. Uh, I think uh, Justin Langer is considered the best to ever play in a World Cup, so yeah. Yeah. Him and BBS Luxman, that's a debate, but yeah. I had Stuart Stuart McGill.
0: Uh, Yeah, I can see room for Stuart McGill. I don't have him on my list right now, but I can see room for him. Okay, carry on. Uh, Yeah, I'm definitely going to replace my guy Cameron White with Stuart McGill. (laughs) I'm gonna make that change right now. So we'll do that, and then I have Usman Quaja, Adam Zampa, David Hussey, Ben Hilfenhaus, and Nathan Coulter-Nile to round out the Australia eleven.
2: No, you should stay with me. I have no arguments there.
0: Yeah, it's it's not a great team, but to be honest, like all the great Australian players played in World Cup finals. So, right. There's not a whole lot. We're, way we're
2: basically team. picking from 2016 to yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: That rounds out this group. I think. I think the West Indies is the best team, or even India. I think it's between the West Indies and India.
2: Yeah, I think West Indies by far. I think I, I think the tiers go West Indies in a tier of its own. Yep. Then next we have India sitting there a little bit. Uh, India and England right next to each other.
0: Yeah, I think that Pakistan team on its day could be up there, but again, uh, that's, that's like true. typical Indian Pakistan, Pakistan fashion. It could be yeah. the best team one day and, and the worst team in the world the next. So they're That's kind of exactly
2: what I was going to say as well. I, I'm looking at this team and I'm just saying it could score 370 or it could get all out for 150. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of the, like you said, one of those Pakistan teams that just hasn't been able to find a way
0: New Zealand, again, some great players, but this New Zealand team kind of reminds me of what New Zealand was missing for so long. It's a bunch of guys who are solid but not spectacular and can't really take the team over the top. Like, that's what this New Zealand group reminds me of, just a fundamental team that's going to do all the little things right, but they're not going to have that superstar who's going to, like, take the match away from the opposition. Like, Stephen Fleming, great player. Shane Bond, great player. But were they going to single-handedly dominate a game or a tournament? And they just never did. And I think that's kind of the story of this New Zealand group that we put together, like a bunch of fundamentally good players that just got stuck at semifinals. Yep,
2: absolutely, yeah. Um, I think you hit it on the head, Chinmye. It's basically what New Zealand was before Kane Williams and Brendan McCollum came on the scene, right, essentially.
0: Yeah, and guys like Trent Bolt, Tim Saudi,
2: Ross Absolutely. Taylor even. Yep.
0: So, yeah, it's it's an old New Zealand team, and you can see the difference. It's, it's pretty tremendous. So the tiers I have go West Indies, Australia – or sorry, not Australia. What, what am I thinking? Uh, <laughs> the tiers I have go West Indies and India in the top tier. I have England, Pakistan in the next tier. I have New Zealand and Australia – in the next tier, and then I have—I think Sri Lanka is in the last tier. I don't think that team is very good, mostly because all their golden generation teams played in World Cup Finals.
2: Yeah, Sri Lanka was a tough team to list out. I think, I think the... for me, like I said, I have i have West Indies in a tier on its own. I, I think just all around, from bowling and batting, they're, they're significantly better. In that second tier, I have India and England. The third tier, I think I'm putting New Zealand and... Pakistan,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then in that last tier, Australia and Sri Lanka for me. Although Sri Lanka is much worse than Australia, but I think they're they're both that bottom two.
0: Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen with Australia. I mean, Marnus Labuschagne, Usman Kwaja, Alex Carey, Adam Zampa, Marcus Stoinis. These guys could all play in a World Cup final next time. So
2: that's very true. They could that's just wipe out
0: half the roster in the next.
2: Who sport. knows? Yeah, and especially I think of that lot lab machine has the potential to be an all-time great to me at least so yep you're definitely right the potential is still endless for that australia team
0: australian middle order it never goes away that's going to do it for us here on the follow-on podcast check us out on facebook at the follow-on follow us on twitter at the follow-on as always all of our content at